Mason Mount! Oh, what a Guys, welcome back to the Chelsea Spot Podcast. This is episode seven. Uh, we've got something a little bit different for you today because we're going to be uh, answering some of your guys' questions that we asked for on Twitter. Um, but in part one of this one, we're going to uh, discuss the big game in the Bundesliga that literally just finished. We recorded about half an hour after it finished, which was obviously a Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich in the Der Klassiker. Um, I've got Orlando with me to chat through that as usual. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, we may as well go straight for it into the uh, into the Bundesliga game. Um, ended Bayern one nil. Um, you know, in Dortmund. Uh, what we what, what what did you take from the game, Orlando? Well, it's interesting you say in Dortmund there, but I think actually the score like last in the weekend, I think the score was like home teams zero, away teams like 13 or something across all the games so it just shows kind of uh, what impact the, the closed doors has no home fans but yeah overall thoughts on the game personally really disappointed that Dortmund didn't get anything out of it because it kind of um, that kind of decides the title it puts an end to the title race as such really because you've got now Bayern a seven points clear of Dortmund having played the same amount of games Um with uh, 28 matches played, so I think that means there's uh, only eight left, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, yeah um, disappointed that Dortmund didn't get anything out of it. I thought they could have done. They made some very questionable decisions. Subbing Brandt off at halftime was one of those. Uh, it may have been injury-related, but if not, that was a very, very stupid decision, in my opinion, because he's the guy who makes things happen. Um, and bring, you could say that bringing on Sancho counters that, but Sancho is a player who really needs players around him. He likes playing one twos. He's not someone who's going to play that killer pass or or uh, drop uh, drop deep and kind of play it long. He's one who who takes on players one v one or plays one twos, uh, like exciting bursts past his man. So that was a, an odd decision in my opinion. But you know that's that's the final score and. I guess we we just um, have to concentrate on the other interesting things in the Bundesliga, which are kind of the battle for Champions League places, battle for Europa League places, which are still wide open, and then obviously the relegation battle as well. Yeah, so I mean, as you say, their buying winning means that they have a seven-point lead now at the top, so it probably does wrap up the uh, the title race. Um, obviously, if, if Dortmund were to pick a win, that means it would have been a uh, would have been a one-point. Um, situation at the top of the table, so it would have been really interesting. Um, to me, the player that stood out again for Bayern uh, was Joshua Kimmich, uh, not just because of his amazing goal, which the goalie uh, Berkey po- probably should have done better with, but I think Kimmich, every single time I've ever seen him play, is just so good. He can just do everything. He's calm on the ball, composed. He's, I think his main thing is his mental side of the game, is his sort of ability to be in the right place and find the right pass and, and try things and be confident is... Is, is what stands out for me. Um, was there anyone different that maybe stood out to you, Orlando? Yeah, well, just on Kimmich, I think uh, Erin Hargreaves, the co-commentator on BT Sport, was just saying, you know, midfield players in the world, like nine out of ten of them wouldn't even think to shoot from that position. That Well, I mean, they would think to shoot, but not not with the chip, more with the blast or the placed effort. But no one would think about that chip, but Joshua Kimmich did. And I saw, saw a funny tweet uh, kind of saying that, you know, being a very, very good right-back wasn't good enough for him, so he decided to to kind of become a midfielder because, you know, it's interesting <laughs> that Bayern have a sort of a weird setup with Pavard playing right-back, who's obviously a centre-back naturally by trade, um, and they have one of the best right-backs in the world playing centre-midfield. Uh, so it's interesting uh, when... But I guess, you know, they got Thiago out injured and obviously, uh, well, I mean, the the preferred pivot would be Thiago and Kimmich, but they've they've had Tolisso out injured for quite a while now. I think um, one other player that stood out for me, and I think it, he stood out for everyone really, was Alfonso Davis. Um, the perform performance he had today was magnificent. But just going back to the first time I probably saw him was when I was at the game when they came to the bridge. Obviously, quite soon uh, before football was cancelled, well, put on hold. 
Um, I don't think I, in, I've ever seen one player destroy Chelsea apart at Stamford Bridge so much like that. It was just an incredible performance. Um, and he showed that again today. The, the pace that he has is just ridiculous. There was this this moment where Erling Haaland it looked like he was in on goal, looked like he was probably going to score, make it 1-1. Um, or it may even have been 1-0 at the time, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, he, he just covered such such a, a, a big bit of ground in such a small, short time. It's just remarkable how, how he manages to do that. And basically, it doesn't really matter if, if uh, the op- opposition's attackers kind of dribble past Alaba or Boateng or Pavard or whatever, because you just got Davis there who can, who can outpace anyone. Um, so, yeah, um, he stood out for me. Um, another player who, uh, it was interesting, didn't stand out was Serge Gnabry, um, someone who, before football was put on hold, was probably up there of having one of the best seasons out of anyone in, in European football, really. He was he was having a really stellar season. Um, but since since uh, football's come back, Bayern have had three games now, and he hasn't really done, done anything, basically. I know he didn't start in, in one of them, but... It's interesting to see that um, this kind of break has maybe had different effects on different players because we've seen uh, for Dortmund players like Torgan Hazard and, and Julian Brandt um, and the wingbacks, Hakimi and Guerrero have come out all guns blazing. But then there are also players who are going like one the the best in Europe before before the break and now not playing so well. So it's interesting to see that. Um, Hopefully he can pick up his form again because he's one of my one of my favourite players to watch. Um, but you know the Bayern the Bayern train rolls on without him anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, they've got enough options, haven't they, to uh, to find goals and create chances? Just just going back to Alfonso Davies quickly, it was interesting battle on that flank with um, Akraf Hakimi, who's obviously one of the you know highest uh, rated young fullbacks in Europe. I actually think he had a pretty poor game. Hakimi up against um, Alfonso Davies, he seemed a little bit sloppy in the ball. Didn't really managed to get as high up the pitch to to make any impact on the attack for Dortmund with any crosses yeah. or anything. I um, think it's interesting. Hakimi is a player who really kind of relies often a lot on his athleticism and and pace to, to kind of make it to the ball before other players and win fouls or or kind of play one twos and stuff like that. And he just he just couldn't cope with the fact that Davis is more a more athletic player than him. Um so yeah, unfortunate for him, but um, yeah, you're right. He he didn't have the best game. Yeah, obviously, obviously a guy who um, Chelsea uh, reportedly had had looked at, but decided against signing because uh, obviously Reese James's um, breakthrough into the first team. So, and to be honest, personally, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have been against that if it was my decision. I I, I don't really see him. He's got the more current experience and he probably is a better player right now than Reese James. Uh, but I don't think in terms of ceiling, James would be that far off. Um, so I wouldn't see it being viable for us to, to target Hakimi realistically. Um, just lastly, in terms of player performance from this game, obviously there's quite a lot of uh, eyes on the, the two strikers um, for the teams. Obviously Lewandowski against his former club and Erling Brat Haaland who is just always in the limelight at the minute. Um, they had 82 goals between them so far this season. Um, <laughs> wow. w- that's in all competitions. Orlando, would you like to guess the split of that? So there's 82 between them. Do well, some maths. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think Lewandowski probably has about, did you say 88? 82 between 82. them. Yeah, I'd say Lewandowski probably has about 45 and Holland has 30 uh, something. I don't know. Um, Haaland scored so many goals in Austria, though, didn't he? Before yeah. before January, so maybe maybe it's about equal. It's exactly equal. It's forty-one each in all wow. competitions. So yeah, that is absolutely crazy. But neither of them really had an impact. Haaland had um, quite a few. He had a few shots actually, five or six shots. And um, but he, I don't think it was his fault. I think he was a little bit isolated up, up top. Obviously, um, in the first half they had Hazard and Brandt as the two kind of either side of him, but they did kind of come quite deep and they come very narrow. Um, so there was times where Haaland looked a bit of a lonely figure up front and they were trying to play balls in behind too many. They just weren't great passes. They were quite sloppy. Uh, Lewandowski didn't have that much of an impact. He had a bit of a penalty shot at the end. He did hit the post with a really, really nice left-footed uh, effort um, in the second half as well. 
Um, but yeah, Haaland uh, went off with a knock uh, eventually, and, and Thorgan Hasvald moved up front. Um, just just quickly, there was a shot um, that covered a little bit of uh, debate on the timeline that wasn't actually looked at by VAR. Uh, I know you don't think it should have even been a debate, Orlando, where, where Haaland shot and uh, Duran Boateng seemed to sort of, sort of block it with his elbow when he was on the floor. What, what do you reckon to that one? Yeah, so if you don't know already, um, I'm actually a referee. I do lots of grass, grassroots uh, refereeing here in London. Um, yeah, that should not even be a debate. There is no way, no way that that, that is a handball because to be a handball it, in the laws of the game, it has to be deliberate or there has to be an intention. Um, contrary to popular opinion, the media put out all this stuff about uh, natural silhouette, natural position, natural body position, whatever. That is complete rubbish, to be honest. Um, it has to be a deliberate handball, or at least the hand or the arm has to move towards the ball. Um, that did happen here, but it, I, people don't seem to be taking it into account. Haaland was so close to Boateng. Haaland is probably one of the players... the a player in Europe with one of the most the most uh, shot power in Europe, one of them. Um, and it's it's never, never handball. I'm sorry. He can't, Boateng cannot do anything about that. And I was amazed to see that lots of big accounts on Twitter were uh, claiming that to be a penalty. But yeah, from a ref's perspective, no chance. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably wanted it to be a penalty because I think um, the majority of neutrals want a Dortmund to win because... It keeps the title race, uh, title race more exciting. Uh, and yeah, also, another thing, people are saying VAR didn't even look at it. VAR definitely did look at it, let alone briefly. VAR, people don't realise VAR look at everything, even if the ref doesn't go to the screen or he doesn't put his finger to his ears. They're looking at everything and they're thinking, should I tell the ref to stop the game while well, we can have a, a closer look? They probably saw that. They're like, no chance, move on. They don't even have to stop the game. They do look at everything. Um, even while play is going on sometimes. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I, I personally don't think it was a penalty anyway. I think the shot might have actually been uh, been going wide, so it wouldn't have really made that much difference. If anything, he just earned them a corner rather than it being a goal kick. Um, did you, Orlando, have the um, crowd noises on your on your uh, broadcast of the match? I didn't, actually. It's funny, I was, I was having this... Uh debate at half time on, on the phone with one of my friends so he was he he is I, I have BT Sport at home but he, he doesn't so he was watching on some dodgy stream on the internet I think he, he had, said he had <laughs> said he had Fox Sports which I think is uh, you know some place in Europe and America I was I was on Fox as well yeah, yeah. so um, then they, they have that obviously I think and we don't on BT but it's interesting we were having this debate he said he really likes it and Without it, he said they feel kind of like uh, training matches or, you know, like uh, pre-season games without much much crowd. But I actually really like being able to hear everything they say. Obviously, um, I mentioned this on a previous podcast that I do actually understand uh, and speak German. So th- that's a positive for me that I can understand what they're saying. It's really interesting for me to see which kind of players are the leaders. You know, there's two different types of leading, leading with with your voice and leading by example and for me it's really interesting to to see which which kinds those players are uh so yeah that's kind of looking on the bright side of it yeah i had the i like i said i had the fox um, broadcast and i did actually have the crowd noises on and it was actually pretty good they weren't just playing like baseless random crowd ambience. <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it wasn't like that they um it was quite dynamic in a sense it was it's kind of just like a, a general ambience of crowd noise and then you know, if a player did like a good recovery challenge or a clearance, there'd be a little uh, bit of round of applause, and there was it got louder as teams attacked, and there was times where they're doing big chances if it was you know like the whole yellow wall chanting and stuff like that. So it was quite dynamic. It did, I, I think it was good. I, I do like listening to the um, you know the the shouting and the tactics and the screaming on the pitch, um, but because I don't speak German, I don't really gain much from it from the Bundesliga. Um, so I, I actually helped find that the crowd noise has helped me, if anything, to concentrate on the game. Because I found a few of the games at the weekend um, that didn't have it. I was sort of watching, but more kind of just keeping an eye on And I was just sort of concentrating on things or having a look on social media. Um, but having the crowd noises on actually made me feel like it was just a normal game. Because you don't really, from most of the camera angles, you don't actually really notice the, the stands. It's only when they score and celebrate in front of no one. Um, so yeah, I do. I do think the the crowd noise has helped, and they're, they're an interesting thing that maybe to look out for when the uh, when the Premier League comes back. Um, 
got any final comments on the game, Orlando? Any any last points? Um, not really. I just think um, one thing that we haven't really mentioned is that Dortmund defended actually really well. They defended really well. They had uh, Hamels and Pizcek especially had especially good games, and I think it's a bit. Um, a bit harsh, a bit of a harsh result on them in the end, but you know that's that's the way it goes, um, and they'll move on from that and hope that Bayern can slip up at some point and they can capitalise. But you know, seven points—that's kind of Bayern losing two games and drawing one, and even that just brings it level. And Bayern have a whole uh, higher goal difference, so it's very very unlikely. But you know, these things have happened before, so that's that's what Dortmund will be hoping, obviously. Yeah, guys, and you can uh, find a load of match reviews from not only this game, but um, all the other Bundesliga games that are going on as well on the Chelsea Spot website, um, if and when you're interested in that. Um, but yeah, we will move on to the main bit of the pod now, and that's going to be the sort of questions, and we're going to answer those. Um, we've got 10 or 12 questions sent in from uh, from you guys, um, so we're going to try our best to answer them. I've, I've read for them, some of them are pretty difficult, um, but we'll be back. We'll be back shortly with that. <music> All right, guys, so welcome back. Time for part two of the podcast. We're going to be uh, answering your guys' questions now. Uh, so let's get straight into them. I said some of them are quite difficult. And also, uh, I've read through the questions, um, but Orlando hasn't actually seen these yet. So he's going to be on the spot with a few of them. Uh, so good luck, mate. Um, let's have a look. So we'll start off, um, we'll just start from the top, really. So uh, Danny underscore new underscore, who's one of our one of our writers at the Chelsea spot. Good lad. He'd have been on previous podcasts if you're a regular listener. Um, he said, with William and Pedro leaving in the summer, is Winger now an area that needs addressing in the transfer market? If so, then who would you look to go for this summer? Um, what do you reckon, Orlando? Yeah, interesting question. Um, as it happens, me and Dan were actually just discussing this exact thing just before we started recording the podcast. So in my opinion, we were talking about how, um, how you know, we haven't, we've, According to Fabrizio Romano, we've chosen not to activate uh, the buyback clause of Jeremy Bogart. I guess that's probably um, the most likely reason for that is probably just because Bogart doesn't want to come. He, he wants to move to a club where he's going to be starting, uh, which is fair enough because he's a great player and he deserves that. Um, and also, he didn't have the best of experiences at Chelsea in terms of the first team, so you could see why he'd be a bit discouraged from coming back. Um in terms of whether we need to sign one, I don't actually think so. I saw some links today um, that we were interested in, in signing Saeed Benrahma, which I would absolutely love because he, he is a cracking player, really brilliant player um, who, who I love to watch. And it's definitely, uh, contrary some, to some people's opinions, he is definitely someone who's capable of playing at the, the very highest level because, you know, even though he, he plays in the championship, he, he definitely has the ability to make that step up. Step up. Um, but even if we don't sign him, in my opinion, I would say uh, we don't really need to sign a winger. It's, well, it's not a priority anyway. I would say left-back and goalie are our real two priorities. Um, and I don't think we really need to sign a winger because we we forget that Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been out all season. He hasn't played a single game. He's going to come in and play, want to play in that number eight or number ten position where Mason Mount has been playing most of the minutes. So I would say that Mason Mount will probably end up playing wide a bit more um, as well, and sharing the time with Ruben in the number 10, number 8 position. Obviously, we've got Ross Barkley as well, who probably won't be going anywhere. Um, so I don't think we really need to sign one um, because we've seen that actually some of uh, Mason's best games this season have come uh, on the wing. Yeah, I, uh, I I go along with that. I think we do have players who can uh, can play out there, like say Barkley and, and Mount, and potentially even Loftus Cheek himself can fill in out wide where possible. Um, obviously, we've got Hudson Odoi and Pulisic there, and we've obviously just signed Hakim Ziyech. So I think that'd be a great right flank if he does play on the right side, cutting in on his left foot with uh, with Reece James there, and hopefully they can form a a good partnership. Um, I saw the Athletics suggested that maybe Ziyech might be in the plans to be a number ten, more so than a winger. But to be honest. I think that's going to be down to pre-season and system and who else we sign. I don't really know how they could know that at this point. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we're desperate for a winger. Uh, saying that, I mean, if Jaden Sancho was on the market and we could afford him, then obviously I'd want him. Although I don't think he has looked great in the Bundesliga in the return, but I don't really care. Um, 
but yeah, you mentioned Saad Benarama there. I absolutely, I think he's so good. He's so fun to watch. I, I've seen a load of Adel Tarat montages today on Twitter, mm. and he reminds me of him. In yeah, that's just a like, point. He just, yeah, he just plays. He is, he is a good team worker as well. He's not like Tarat in that sense, isn't he? He's not a burden, but he can come up with a moment of magic. He, he is a good team player too, but. He's just so good, so skillful. Great He's got chances. that kind of Eden Hazard type thing where he can he can win a match himself in the click of a finger. Even if he doesn't turn it on every game, he has that. You know, he has that ability to just be the match winner. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, he's one of those guys that's in the championship, but you can quite clearly see that he's Premier League quality. And I think he, he I don't think he needs like a stepping stone club. I don't think he needs to sign for a mid-table t- team first. I think he's ready for top six football. He probably come in initially as a backup um, with the players we've got but I, he can make an impact and he can play in um, you know potentially attacking midfield as well not just that wide so it has a bit of extra versatility I think we're not desperate for a winger again we're not going to comment much further on this but a lot of that could depend on the hudson Adoy situation um, depending on what happens with his near future um, but for now and hopefully he is fine to be starting every game week in week out and become a, become a Ballon d'Or winner at Chelsea um, so yeah, I don't think we're desperate for one. I wouldn't prioritise it. But if yeah, if someone like Jaden Sancho was is genuinely available, um, although it looks unlikely in this market, um, then I wouldn't turn him down. Um, but yeah, moving on. Um, Simon Phillips says who, who's obviously just um, started his own podcast with us, um, which you've probably already listened to. Um, how long will it take Dan to become as good a presenter as Simon? Now, um, Simon, just because you've got, what, 73,000 followers and um, you know your stuff, <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'll, t- I'll be taking this one up with you, Simon, if, uh, if I come on a podcast of yours, don't you, don't you worry. And I know Orlando's got my back anyway. So I got your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thanks for that one, Simon. Uh, you guys, obviously, if you don't already, you can follow Simon at Cy Phillips Sport. Uh, very, very good uh Chelsea Journo and post loads of good news, loads of good opinions on his timeline. Uh, moving on from that one, um, AC Pari, who's obviously the chief editor here at the Chelsea Spot, he's our boss, so got to be careful when we answer. Um, so he's asked pretty simply, but it's a tough one: bigger Chelsea legend, Lampard or Terry? I'll let you take this, Orlando. Oh bloody hell, it's a hard one. So um, I've got an answer that kind of weasels out of really saying. Um, one or the other but I'd say at the moment it's Terry um, in terms of things he did as a player but if Lamp well I'm not even going to say if Lampard I'm going to say when Lampard brings success to the club in form of being a manager because that will happen we all know it um, he's going to be a bigger legend for doing things as a player and a manager so I'd say at the moment Terry but in the future almost definitely Lampard yeah, I agree. It's a pretty evil question, to be fair, because they are probably the two biggest Chelsea legends. I think, yeah, at the minute, right now, it is John Terry. He's Mr. Chelsea. Um, uh, and obviously, he did come through the Chelsea uh, academy as well, uh, whereas Lampard was obviously purchased from West Ham. Not that that affects his sort of legacy or anything. He is a Chelsea man, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I think Lampard being the manager is going to create a new legacy for himself in, from that side as well uh, and hopefully and I don't see why not finally we can't have a proper genuine long-term manager with a project this, this is the perfect situation for a young team young manager Jody Morris Joe Edwards as well in there people who know the club so I think he will become a big legend than Terry although Terry might have a part to play as well in, yeah, um, I'd in, love in Chelsea's future I'd absolutely love it I don't know how it would work because you wouldn't want to get rid of Lampard as manager but Terry probably wouldn't just want a coaching role, we wouldn't get rid of Jody Morris, so you can't give him assistant manager. So maybe we'll have to see. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but you know, but... I'm sure that Jody and Joe, they're both very aspirational guys. And if a club, uh, you know, comes knocking for them to be their, their um, manager, actual manager, that will leave a vacancy in the assistant manager spot. So I'm sure there will be changes over the years. But let's just hope that, that Frank remains the one constant and brings us lots of success. Yeah, that, 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 that's true. But uh, yeah, quite an evil question there, Paul. Um, moving on, at Lampard's legacy, um, he said, was not, we've kind of already spoken about this, so we'll touch on this one briefly. 
was not activating the buyback clause for Boga the right decision. Uh, not necessarily to sign him as a squad player for us, but we could have instantly sold him for a higher price or used him in our negotiations with another club. Now, that is interesting because it's not very moral to sign a player with a buyback clause just to instantly sell him for double the price. But from a business point of view, which we know Chelsea like, it would have actually made sense. And um, um, I disagree with that, actually. Um, right. I think... Instead of uh, buying him back, I've heard that, uh, well, I haven't heard, in the reports, the same reports that say we're, we're not uh, activating the buyback clause, they say that we're negotiating a sell-on clause, which could be much, much more profitable in the future if he does go to Napoli or somewhere like that. And then, you know, he does well there, so he becomes a Galactica at Real Madrid, signs for 80 mil and we get 30, 40 of that, you know. So, um that could end up being much, much more profitable for us. So I think that that's, a, that's quite a good business move from Marina or whoever is doing it. Yeah, that, that's true. We saw Real Madrid do it with uh, Morata when he actually they sold him to us, unfortunately. Uh, they bought him back from Juventus with that buyback clause. And then he did, a, he did have a season with, with Real Madrid after that, I believe. He didn't just immediately get sold, but it seemed like it was probably the plan because uh, the buyback was like 30 million. I mean, they sold him to us for the best part of double that. Um, but yeah, I don't really think it matters realistically. I mean, the barback clause is 15 million, and the reported figures that are looking like the team's going to buy him maybe 25. So, I mean, I know it's 10 million quid there, but like you say, with the sell-on fee, if they're negotiating that and get 20, 30 percent, then that's probably better a few years down the line. Like you say, if he does have a great time at, at Napoli, whoever, and then sign for Barcelona or Real Madrid or whoever, and we can get 20 million, 30 million from the uh, from the purchase fee. So hopefully. Um, Hopefully he does well at his new club, wherever that is. Uh, we all we all love Jeremy Berger, so um, regardless of the finances, I just hope he does do well. Um, but we're moving on to what is definitely the hardest and most horrible question here, and that means no surprise. It comes from at Thomas Black CFC, who uh, is one of the Chelsea Spot admins, friend of mine in Orlando's, and um, has a few opposing opinions, but. Uh, that's why we're not surprised percent is a question this this difficult. Um, if you're forced to sell one academy graduate, so you know, out of the current first team, um, who would it be and why? I'm gonna let you go first. Oh, <laughs> oh mate. Um, okay, let's just let's just let's just one. list them first. So Tamori, Reese James, Loftus Cheek, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham. And that's about it from the proper I'm not we're not gonna is class Andrew in to say Christian. Christensen. Christen, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, do you know what? Christensen is an academy graduate. Do you want to um, include him or not? Because I think we'll both well, say him. <laughs> um, I, mm, okay, let me think about this. Uh, I think if we're not including Christensen, it would prob... Oh, mate. It would, I would, I'm inclined to say one of Loftus-Cheek or Mount, but they're two of the best ones. Oh, this is... Yeah, I'm just going to say Christensen and Cheat, to be honest. Although I do really rate him, and I, I do think that he actually could go on and become one of the, one of the best centre-backs in the world because we've seen the potential he had from so young. Um, yeah. If we don't include Christensen, you've got you've to uh -huh. say one. I don't want an explanation. You've just got to say a one-word answer, which one goes not including Christensen. Um, Abraham. Because I love him so much, but striker is the position where it's easiest to buy someone who gets you goals, if that makes sense. He's the most replaceable out of all of them. So, sorry, Tammy, I love you. I love you so much, but um, I'm choosing you. Fair enough. I'm going to cop out and uh, say Andreas Christensen. So, yeah. Oh, come uh, on. <laughs> no, 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 no. You did it to me. I got to do it. Okay, please. okay, okay. Um... It's so impossible because obviously I think the highest ceiling of the two is James and uh, Adoy. I can't get rid of either of those two. And my favourite, they're, they're two of my favourite players. Loftus-Cheek's the oldest out of the lot, but I think probably the current best player out of the lot. Um, and he's not really had a proper chance at Chelsea because of his injuries and stuff. Um, Mount's been the, and then Mount and Tammy have been the best two this season. <laughs> Arguably the best two players at the club this season. I think a case there's quite a big case for Loftus Cheek, isn't there, because of his injuries? Yeah, but I can't say Loftus Cheek. I love him too much. So I'm, yeah. No, oh, I love all of them. So I'm gonna say, did Jorginho come through the academy? <laughs> no. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say, I hate to. I can't really choose. It's not based on anything. I'm just gonna say one. 
I'm just going to say Mount, even though he's been. I, I did give him uh-huh. Player of the Year in the last podcast, and I, he's you know he's one of my favourite players, definitely. But I'm going to say I'm just going to say Mount based on nothing. <laughs> so yeah, if I have to choose one, I'm just going to say Mount. But ask me a different day, it'll be a different one, and so on. But Fair luckily, enough. luckily, we don't have to get rid of him. We've got all of them. Indeed, so, exactly. So we don't need to do any of that. Um, by the way, guys, that was a joke about Jorginho. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay. Lewis, CFC Lewis um, says one player who's also been on a previous podcast, guys. Um, if you uh, if you've been listening regularly, uh, one player in the current squad to build a team around. So this is a really interesting question. Um, I'm first thoughts. I'm inclined to say Angolo Kante, but I'm not going to say him because he's already what 29. Um, and he has had a few injury problems, although I think that's behind him now. Um, he's one of my favourite ever players to play for Chelsea. One of my favourite ever players ever. Um, but I'm not going to say him. Hmm, interesting question. I'm going to say Callum Hudson-Odoi because he is the most, the best, the most talented player I have ever seen play at academy level. And that is really saying something because I watch a lot of academy football. Um and hopefully this, all this um, allegations and stuff is nothing. Um, I think that's it's quite likely to be kind of paper talk and there's not much to it. Or that's what I hope anyway. Um, and yeah, he's just, he, he's, he's, I don't know, he's the most talented player I've ever seen, really. Not much more to say. Um, and if we, we had to build a team around someone, I would say him. But having said that, He's not the kind of player who you do need to build a team around because he's just he can play in so many different systems and uh, you know his best position is coming in from the left but he's also really really good on the right as a crossing winger. Um, so you know um, could say Billy Gilmore because he he's someone who who would would do really well uh, with a system tailored to his strengths a bit like the Ferry system was tailored to Jorginho. They're not completely dissimilar players. Um, and I think, yeah, uh, Gilmore, his best position is probably in a double pivot. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I'll say, I'll say Hudson Odoi. Yeah, I'd probably agree and go Odoi if we're thinking about building a team for the long term uh, around one player. Um, although I think if we're going to look at it immediately, so as of like next season, I don't think you would build the team around Odoi yet at this point. Probably um, say Hakim Ziyech, to be I honest. Was, yeah, I was going to say Hakim Ziyech is probably the guy. He's kind of our signing. We've said it before, but it's an absolute bargain at thirty million. Like he's in his prime and he's one of the best players in the world. Um, he's he's going to be our best. He's going to be the best footballer at the club next season. If that makes sense. I disagree uh, with that. I think Angola Kante is still better. Yeah, but I yeah. think Kante is the the best player. But I think the best footballer. Oh in yeah, the team fine. Is Hakim yeah, all at his feet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the best footballer like in te- the, at the club will be Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, so I think he's going to be the guy for immediately to build the team around. And he's only twenty seven still. He's in his prime. Yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully get four, five, maybe even six good years out of him, um, or at least three, and then maybe sending him on. So. I'd probably build it around him as of next season, but yeah, I think for the future, Hudson Odoi is going to be the uh, the big talent there that um, that we should build around. Uh, moving on from that one, um, MCD. Yeah, it is a good, that is a good question, Lewis. Uh, MCD says best performance of the season in the league. I don't know whether he means individual or team. I, I'm. I think guessing, he means team. Yeah, I'm going to guess he means team. Yeah. All right. Um, one that, um, well, three immediately spring to mind. Actually, four. First one I was going to say was uh, Wolves away when we won five two, but we did concede two goals. One from, a f- wait, was it one from a set piece or it was it even both? So it was I'm, one from a set piece. Yeah. One of them was Patrick Cotrone, like a kind of scrappy goal. Oh yeah. So I'm not going to say that we conceded two goals despite being a, a brilliant day. Um, Ajax away. When really, really good yep. team performance against uh, one of the top sides in Europe. Um, we kept a clean sheet um, away at Ajax. Not many teams do that. Um, and then the the other two are Spurs home and away. I'm yep. going to say Spurs away, I think. Uh, kept a clean sheet away to Spurs. Um, basically destroyed them. They didn't really have any chances uh, William was prime Ronaldinho. 
you know, <laughs> Mason Mount was 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 prime Frank Lampard. Mason Mount was was um, immense that game. Uh, so so was Kovacic. So was Alonso. Yeah, best team performance for me is uh, Spurs away two 0 Yeah, that's definitely up there. I think um, a few shouts would be. It's a bit recency bias, but to be fair, the last game for a lockdown, Everton four 0 Yeah, absolutely yeah, brilliant yeah. display. Barkley was. I mean, we're going to carry on with these uh, similes. Then he was discussed to Dan again. Getting <laughs> um, assisted Pedro goal, but we just played great football in that game, especially in the first half. Um, Pedro got his first goal and first assist of the season. And it was great Mark's to see Andrin and Borja come on, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we were that good that we could bring those guys on for their debuts safely with no pressure and, and with the three points secured. So uh, it's a shame that we couldn't keep the momentum going, obviously, because it's the last game before football was uh, put on hold. But um, that could be one. I think one, obviously, we didn't actually win it, um, which is the Super Cup game against Liverpool. Uh, oh yeah! Only the second game of the season. Obviously, ended one all, and then uh, sorry, two all after extra time, and then um, we lost on penalties because because Abraham missed. But in many ways, it kind of that we had kind of two fired Abraham forward. goals, didn't we? Yeah, Mount the Pulisic one, which was absolutely a toenail. If he if he just cut his toenails that morning, he wouldn't have been offside. Pulisic, <laughs> um, and that and was a great Mount, goal as well. Left and finish was a brilliant goal. And Mount, I mean, obviously Giroud scored a nice goal, and Jorginho scored a penalty. That was a great performance as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, without obviously we didn't win, so you know. But I think the Spurs ones are probably right. Arsenal, uh, the two-one win after um, we changed the system uh, after about twenty-five minutes, half an hour was a very good performance. But the first twenty minutes, half an hour was shocking. So I don't think you can class that as a whole as the best performance of the season. Um, but I'll, I'll just go for the Everton four-nil win recently. Also Liverpool in the cup the week before. As well, that's also a great display yeah, from, yeah. from the boys. Uh, so I'd just go for one of those two, probably Everton, uh, just to be different to you with your Spurs answers. But there, you're probably right. Um, so we, we kind of touched on this one as well. Um, but Konark um, asks, who, in your opinion, is the best player at Chelsea currently in terms of ability? Yeah, I think um, this one is is obvious. I, in in my opinion, if you can't see that it's Angola Kante, then you need to go to Spec Savers. Honestly, it's it's obvious. Um, who will be the best in a few years is a completely different question. Um, that's probably not Kante, but um, yeah, at the moment, definitely Kante. Um, Kovacic is up there, but I think Kante is quite 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 far clear of him, to be honest. Yeah, I think Kante is definitely the best player at Chelsea currently. We mentioned earlier Zayac is going to be up there, but he's not here currently, so I won't include him in this. So, yeah, I, I would definitely say Kante. He's um, probably the only absolute definitely world-class player we've got, although he gets some unfair criticism um, at times, and people decided that he's too old, even though he's only 29. Um, <laughs> but he's... Um, no, I think he's he is the best player. I think, um, I think in terms of ability, uh, move it, uh, what Kante does is ability as a footballer, so I don't want to I don't want to take that away. I know I mentioned it earlier when I said Zayac will be the best footballer at the club next season. Um, but I'm not taking away from Kanté. Obviously, he does different things. So I do think he's the best player. But I think the best technical player at the club currently, you probably think I'm going to say Kovacic, but I actually reckon it probably is Loftus-Cheek. Interesting, yeah. I'd actually think... We haven't seen it. Obviously, he's not played a single minute this season. He's been just about got on the bench before, before uh, the lockdown happened. But... Um, I actually think he's probably the best footballer at the club. Well, you could even say Reese James, but I think Loftus Cheek probably is the best um, footballer at the club uh, yeah. at the minute when when fully fit, which we don't really see for for a long time. But he will be, he is training and stuff, so he'll be back if football uh, does come back. This it's interesting this if you think about like the different attributes. So if you talk about dribbling, it's probably almost definitely Kovacic, also hard to die up there and Pulisic. You know, you've got strength, it's definitely Loftus-Cheek. Crossing, Reese James, Mason Mount, Willian, um, you know, um, people Goalkeeping can... Kepper? <laughs> no, actually, no, it's probably not. No. It's probably not. Caballero. Yeah. Like Jamie Caballero. Jamie, Jamie Cumming. Nicholas T, yeah. Um, no, I think uh, it's, it, that's a very good question, but I think um, we're both uh, pretty unanimous in saying that Kante is the best, the best player at Chelsea currently. Um, next question is from Everything Chelsea. It's one that probably will interest us too. If we sell Jorginho, what profile of midfielder would you look at and any personal preference on players? Now, um, I'd like to start off with this one. I think a big reason why our defensive problems have existed so obviously this season isn't necessarily due to the individuals in defence because I think our back line as individuals is okay. 
I think it's fine. I don't even think we're desperate for a centre-back. I think if any position is needed, it's a left-back. Um, but I think the big reason why I've conceded so many is Jorginho um, <laughs> in holding midfield. Um, now, that isn't necessarily because of him. It's more because of his role and everything like that. But I don't know, people send stats a lot and he's made this many key tackles and he's made this many interceptions and he's the best in the league of this. But I watch every single Chelsea game and I'm sorry, he's a liability defensively. He can't run. He doesn't track back. His positioning is poor. He leaves the back four exposed. So often, there's an attacker running behind him at back four and he needs to be in front of that attacker to be a shield first. To I'd um, slow him down or to make the challenge. I completely um, agree, yeah. Yeah. He, I, I've said this so many times. You know, like I, I, I personally am a defensive midfielder when I play football myself. For a defensive midfielder, you need them primarily to be able to do two things, to run and to jump. And Jorginho, unfortunately, can do neither. Why... Is he a defensive midfielder? I know in Italy they, they play the game differently, stuff like that. He's probably uh, suited more to Italian football and the pace of the game there and how, how the football is played with a very heavy heavy onus on tactics rather than kind of pace and power, how the Premier League has been in the last few years. Um, but, yeah, um, I agree with you on that's, that's one of the reasons for our defensive frailties. Um, but to be honest... Um, I don't know if we need to sign someone in that position because we've got Billy Gilmore, who is, is brilliant, um, and Ethan Ampadu as well. I, I've, I've had quite a few, well, not arguments, but discussions uh, on Twitter. Arguments, I, I'm, you all yet, arguments. Yeah. Arguments, all right. <laughs> I'm yet, I'm yet to, to have someone give me one footballing aspect that Jorginho is better than Billy Gilmore at. So we're not talking experience, leadership, whatever. That's fine. Just, but just at football. Pure yeah. at football. Gilmore is better than Jorginho in every single aspect. Um, at me, at Orlandinho, if, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you have got something. But I, no one has t- given me one yet. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, if we continue to play with this double pivot, which I, th- I think we should do, not with just a lone six. I think we should play it with double pivot and a ten. Um then next season, you know, our pivot, our four options to rotate in the pivot will are most likely to be uh, Mateo Kovacic. Um, this is if, if Jorginho does leave. Uh, Mateo Kovacic and Golo Kante, Billy Gilmore and Ethan Ampadu. And that is just quality options. And I don't really see any reason to sign anyone else. Obviously, if it, if it like someone does become available, then sure. But, um, you know, we didn't sign anyone in January when we could have done. And I think that was just due to the reason that no one was really available. And I don't see that. Um, I mean, I think that's going to be even more um, of the case this window because players will just be desperate to keep hold of their key. Uh, I mean, sorry, clubs will be desperate to keep hold of their key players because uh, they'll they'll be un, unsure whether they'll be able to bring anyone else in as a replacement. So, yeah, um I don't think we need to sign anyone if Jorginho does leave. Um, and also we potentially have Conor Gallagher coming back in. You know, Mason Mount can play very well as an eight. Um, Loftus-Cheek as well. Reese James can play as a six or an eight. Loftus-Cheek coming back, I, I, I think we're stacked in the midfield even without Jorginho. And in my opinion, we don't need, don't need him. And I just love to see us play with, with N'Golo Kante back in his... Uh, obviously, there's all this debate about his right position. His best position is in a pivot, not as a number eight or as Sarri played him, an eight who is basically a winger, um, <laughs> a number ten. You know, that's not what he's good at. Um, if we can play him as a in a pivot, kind of a hybrid with a, a hybrid of an eight and a six, that's his best position. Um, I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. Um, and have someone like Kovacic, uh, Gilmore, and Padu next to him. That, uh, that will be fine defence. Well, hopefully, we'll be fine defensively, and obviously, we'll have lots of creativity going forward as well. So, uh, yeah, I hope that's the case. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to see uh, Gilmore and Ampadu as a pivot in the future. That would be oh, that would be that would be so beautiful. good. That would be so so good. Um, part of that question as well, that I'll answer was um, he said, "What sort of profile of player would you want in that position?" Um, I'm going to sound a bit like a a Yadar for saying this, but I do think we need a little bit more of a traditional, robust holding midfielder rather than a player like um, the red register or whatever you want to call it. That's what I'm <laughs> going to call it, a register, a register. Um, not because I think that role is 
wrong or anything. I just think in our system, it doesn't work. We're not Barcelona. We're not Bayern Munich. We don't actually dominate the ball that often. So I don't. I, I think we do need something a bit more of a defensive-minded um, player in there. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to Declan Rice signing, although ideally I'd rather just Ampadu be that guy. Uh, but I wouldn't be opposed to someone like Declan Rice, Wilfred and Didi. I was going to um, say that and Didi would be perfect. the perfect signing. Yeah, any player like that who is robust, can tackle... He's a good defender. I mean, De- Declarice has been centre-back for a lot of his time as, as a player as well, so he knows what he's doing defensively and then can just protect that back four and then pass it off and play it forward to um, to the more creative players. That I, that's that's the profile of player I'd want there, to be honest. And not because I hate Jorginho or hate that role or don't believe in it. I just don't think for our system, that's what we need. Um, if but if does, we were Barcelona, then great. I've seen a lot of stuff about... Um... Arsenal having to sell players uh, due to their financial troubles and one of them that they might have to sell apparently is Matteo Guendouzi and if he does become available uh, for the right amount of money I would love to see him join Chelsea. Um, I think his best position is also in a pivot and uh, yeah I I think he's a similar sort of profile uh, to what you were talking about Dan and I'd love to see him join Chelsea as well. Yeah interesting point there. Moving on to the next question, uh, we this is kind of a two-part question. We've already answered the first part, so we'll just answer the final part, but I'll read the whole question. It's from at Joshua Oakford. Uh, what other wingers would you be happy with if Sancho doesn't come and now we do not look like we will activate bogus buyback clause? I say we've already talked about wingers, but we won't touch on that. But he, he said, how much do you think we can realistically spend in the transfer window due to coronavirus? Um, to be honest, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> but all the reports are suggesting we're in a better place than most clubs because of the backing of Abramovich and, and stuff like that. And we have a lot of assets we can sell off as well if, if teams are willing to buy. Obviously, they're also in financial difficulty. Um, I, so don't, I, don't... Mm, I don't think it's necessarily about how much money we, we're willing to spend. I think it's more about uh, whether teams are willing to sell. Because I think we yeah. do have kind of a bit of an infinite amount of money if we really want it because we got the Hazard money, got the Morata money. Obviously, we didn't buy anyone in January. We had the transfer ban last summer. Um, we're probably going to sell back a Yoko. Um, we got lots of money coming in uh, from, from previous players who we sold. Um, kind of up to 200 million or even more than that just just from that and obviously we've got brown pitch and everything else he hasn't hasn't bought anyone for a year so yeah. know, he, he he won't he won't be able to wait uh, <laughs> to buy someone he loves buying players so um uh yeah i think it's more about whether clubs will be willing to sell because as I said before, they, they won't know whether they'll be able to get a replacement in this market. There's going to be a lots of uncertainty in the transfer market. So I think we'll find that a lot of players that would potentially have been available, like Jaden Sancho, I think he's very likely to stay at Borussia Dortmund for another year now. Yeah, that's um, that's about right. It's, we'll have to just wait and see, I think, in the summer. Uh, not only with Chelsea, but, but every team. It, it's literally no, no one knows. So um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Um, and then the final question we've got is from your brother Orlando, Lucien, and he yeah. asked, "What is your favourite ever game slash goal?" Now we won't say this um, in a Chelsea specific way. So, what, what do you reckon? Right. So, um, this is putting me on the spot a bit. Um, my favourite ever goal scored. It's always been my favourite ever goal. I don't really know why. Um, it was in the 2010 World Cup. Uh, Giovanni von Van Bronckhorst. Uh, playing left-back, just whacked it from the left-back position, top right corner, top bins against Uruguay. And I was just like, how the hell did he do that? And it's just an insane goal, and it's always been my favourite goal. And in terms of favourite game, I can't really go past the uh, 2012 Munich. Um, that's a bit That's a bit of a boring one, though, because everyone would say that. So I'm going to say... Um, 6-0 v Arsenal a couple of years ago. I loved that because a lot of my friends are Arsenal fans uh, um, bantering them afterwards um, and it was just a great display from us in general. So, yeah, I'll go for that 6-0 against Arsenal. I think it was 2015-2016 season? Uh, no, it was a bit earlier than that. It was uh, 2014, I believe. It was oh, right. Salah still played for us. Yeah. Um, he scored, obviously. Um yeah, I mean, obviously, your favourite game is the Munich one, but like you said, that's a boring answer, so we'll, I won't go for that. Uh, your one's a great shout. There was a 4-2 win over Spurs, which was great as well. Oh, yeah. Cahill scored a volley, a really good volley. Uh, that's a that's a great game as well. Um, 
There's been quite a few good games. Uh, Man- I'm going to go for when we beat Man City 3-1 at the Etihad under Conte. But Hazard scored <sighs> what a game uh, to make it 3-1. That's, that's what I'm going to go with. Just from recent memory, it's hard to, to pick everything off. But if we don't include Munich, I'm going to go for that 3-1. Costa, William, Hazard. Uh, and also De Bruyne missed from one yard out. Put it over the <laughs> yeah. in that and, game. And uh, Nathaniel Chalabert punched Aguero. And yeah, he pushed Aguero. Sorry, over. not yeah, punched. Was, uh, pushed he didn't punch him. him. <laughs> he yeah. pushed him over. <laughs> Because uh, Aguero, that may have been the same game where Aguero kind of two-footed David Luiz. As I think well. Aguero and Fernandinho got sent off at the end, didn't they? Right at the end, I think they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, the we, I think it was already three-one at that point. It was just game yeah. over, and they were frustrated. So yeah, but no, and Chalabar doing that for basically his last thing in the Chelsea what show. A really. guy. He was a Still love guy. Him. Love him. Absolutely love him. My favorite goal. Uh, it's not Chelsea related. Um, just in terms of the aesthetic of the goal, was from the 2014 World Cup, and they're on the halfway line. Australia uh, at the right back position and the I don't know who it was so forgive me pings a, a diagonal ball over towards the back post where Tim Cahill's waiting and he smacks a left foot volley bear in mind this ball's come from the right back position almost on the halfway line into the box at the back post and he smashes a left foot volley first time full volley in off the underside of the bar in the World Cup for Australia that is my favourite goal of all time what mate. Tim goal. Cahill yeah, it was absolutely that reminds amazing. me. That reminds me of a similar goal at the same same tournament World Cup uh, when Daley Blind played a similar ball over the top to Robin. Oh, the Van Persie he, header. He headed it from like out like a leapt like a salmon. I think the header was nearly outside the box, and yeah, he ran over and high fived Van Gaal, who I think had just at the time signed for Man U, who Van Persie was playing for. So lots yeah. of um, lots of different stories to that goal, and I just loved that goal at the time. Yeah, that was a great goal, and that was the opening game of that World Cup as well. So, what way to open it? Obviously, with uh, Holland beating Spain five-one or six-one. Yeah, um, something like that. There's loads of good goals in that World Cup. Actually, James Rodriguez, that brilliant volley, and he also did a nice one where he jinked his way into the box and dinked it over the keeper as well. Obviously, that was his about, kind of about yeah. six that World Cup, didn't he? He scored six or seven. He was yeah. unbelievable. Unfortunately, he never. Well, he did. He was good at Real Madrid, but he, he's kind of gone downhill a bit now. But hopefully, for him, he can get coming back to. To, to his best but no I'm going to go with that Tim Cahill volley and that will cut one side of the bar any any shot off the other side of the bar is just great so um, like the batch white one against Ajax but I'm going to go I'm going to go for Tim Cahill for that one um, and I think Orlando that's our final question so thanks everyone who sent them in thank you to Orlando's little brother as well for that one <laughs> uh, good question actually uh, it's tough on the spot to think of favourite one individual thing um, but yeah that's that's the end of the Chelsea Spot podcast guys uh, that was episode 7 I believe or 8 or 9 or 10 whatever it's been now uh, me and Orlando here all the time so <laughs> um, but yeah guys you can find Chelsea Spot all their uh, socials uh, in the description below at the Chelsea Spot on Twitter available on Apple Spotify and the website for the podcast um, and you find myself and Orlando in there as well uh, cheers for coming on again Orlando Thank you very much for having me. No problem. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time, guys. Look out for the Joseph Spot and look out for Simon's version of the podcast as well, which is going to be uh, roughly every week. Cheers, guys. <laughs>